To our new passengers, aloha and welcome. As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone, and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. The show will begin momentarily. Thank you. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast, provided on our own version of the information highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking please. Thank you. Dave's Disney View is a look at the Walt Disney World Resort and sometimes beyond, as seen through the eyes of Dave, a frequent visitor, a one-time cast member, and an engineer who simply enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. Now, please keep your party together and put on your virtual mouse ears. And by all means, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, it's Dave with another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. How's everybody doing today? This time I'm going to do another edition of Dave's Disney News, and today's news covers uh, information from late January 2012. But before I get to the news segment, I wanted to look back at something that uh, I said on a previous podcast. Back on show number 80, uh, I was talking about the Country Bear Jamboree, and I said that Tokyo Disneyland got a version of the bears in 1979. And several astute listeners came back to me and wondered how that was possible since Tokyo Disneyland didn't open until April of 1983. And yeah, that kind of fails the logic test, doesn't it? So the answer here is that I actually made an omission when I was making the podcast. I left a piece of information out that was kind of critical in that uh, discussion. So the way it worked was near the end of 1979... Disney decided that they were going to make a copy of the Country Bear Jamboree and put it at Tokyo Disneyland. Makes a lot of sense. But in this case, they decided that it wasn't going to be an exact duplicate. They needed to make changes to it because while they wanted the show and experience to be the same, so the sets were the same, the bears themselves were the same, and the songs overall were the same, they wanted to translate the whole thing into Japanese. So it took a little time to do the translation, took some time to uh, re-lip sync the bears and make them do their gestures at the right times, And they also made a few adjustments to some mannerisms and things that may have been mildly offensive to the Japanese culture. And so they uh, made some changes to to make it more effective in that sense. So there was a a couple of changes that were there. So uh, once the entire show was completed, they were able to put it in place in uh, Tokyo Disneyland and have it ready for opening day in April of 1983. So it took the better part of two years to uh, create the entire ride and show experience and to do the translation and make everything uh, work as they expected it to. So that's the story and the piece that was missing from that. And uh, thanks for catching that. And now on with the show. On New Year's Eve, Disney announced that they would offer 24 hours of magic in celebration of Leap Day and be open from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. between February 29th and March 1st. This is the first time that they've ever done anything like this, and the locations are planned to be the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World and Disneyland in California. Now, as a cast member, you work on a 24-hour clock. I can certainly remember working overtime that ended close to 5 a.m. and having to come in as early as 6 a.m., but thankfully not on the same day. So certainly cast member schedules can be arranged to make it work easily. 
But to actually stay open for 24 hours to guests is pretty cool and has a really nice feel to it. And from the marketing side, I think it's a really nice push, and I really appreciate what they're trying to do there. Now, what this means to guests uh, in the park is that they're going to have a hard close at 6 a.m., meaning that they're going to have to be out of the park at 6 on the 1st, so that uh, the park can reopen to new guests at about 9 a.m. On, uh, on the 1st, so the uh, new park guests can come in. And wouldn't that be actually kind of fun to be able to leave there at 6 a.m. and turn around three hours later and come back in the park? I actually think that would be kind of cool. Eh, that's just me. So on New Year's Eve, my own kids heard about it and immediately asked if we could go and stay in the park for 24 hours. I unfortunately and somewhat reluctantly had to tell them no. And there are really two reasons why I told them no. First and foremost, it happens that uh, February 29th, Leap Day, happens to be on a Wednesday this year. And there's school to consider, and we have to consider how we're going to work school, and we'd have to be out of school for a couple of days, and I didn't really want to commit to that. And second, the unwritten rule of park attendance applies. Now, this rule typically comes into play two times a year. It's July 4th and December 31st. And it relates to park capacity. Essentially, there's a number that, uses, that Disney uses to manage the uh, park capacity, and they count it at the turnstile as people come through. When that number of people have come into the park, they temporarily close the park to additional admissions. Now, they'll update the number as people exit the park, and they'll allow additional people to come in based on how many people left, but there's always a priority to who can enter. And uh, they may turn people away at the entrance to the parking area, uh, way out at uh, the main gate. Resort guests and DVC owners have first priority, followed by annual pass holders, and then it's on down to the day guests who are coming into the park. So there's always the chance that you might not get in. Well, at least until later in the day. Oh, and by the way, uh, typically Disney will allow you to re-enter if you had come into the park previously, like you came in at 6 a.m. and were there for a few hours and left, you'll be allowed to re-enter the park because they consider that into their calculation, that there's a certain number of people who do re-enter the park and some people who don't, or there's time intervals where people come in. There's a whole strategy to it. So there's usually you'll, you'll be allowed back in. There are some exceptions to that, of course, but typically you will. Now, there's one other caveat that I should throw out there that didn't figure into my decision, but uh, I just wanted to share with you. It's in the official announcement. Disney notes that it will be open for guests to enjoy select attractions, entertainment, and services. The word select always allows for a little bit of wiggle room. If they feel that they need to take something down or offline during the day, they'll do that. Uh, or at night, they'll move things around to make changes. Uh, so they can close down a ride or an area of the park as they need to. So kind of keep that in mind if you're planning on going. Now, like I said, this sounds like a really cool thing, and I would love to do it, but I don't think it's going to work out for us. And if you do do it, I would love to hear your story. Please do email me at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. I'd really like to know how you enjoyed yourself for the 24 hours. In other news, sort of big news, actually, President Obama visited the Walt Disney World Resort on Thursday, January 19th. Now, he made a speech in front of Cinderella's castle and talked specifically about boosting tourism from various countries. Pundits aside, I think this is pretty exciting news that should help bring more visitors to my fair state. And the downstream effect is that more revenue means more jobs um, on the whole, so it's, uh, it's not just about Disney World. It's, I think it has much broader implications, and the prospects for a long-term win for the state of Florida are there, and I think it's a really good thing. So I'm very happy to hear this sort of thing. Now, two additional thoughts that come to mind here. First is that uh, President Obama is the fifth sitting president to visit the Walt Disney World Resort and the fourth to specifically visit a theme park. The first uh, president to visit the theme parks was Jimmy Carter. He made the first presidential visit to a Disney park in 1978, 
President Carter attended the opening session of the 26th World Congress of International Chamber of Commerce meeting at the Magic Kingdom. Ronald Reagan visited twice. First uh, was in 1983. He spoke to an international group of students who would work at the World Showcase. Then again in 1985, Reagan held his second-term inaugural celebration at Epcot, which included a parade around the World Showcase Lagoon. George H.W. Bush, that would be Elder Bush, visited in 1991 as he presided over the Points of Light ceremony at the America Gardens Theater, honoring volunteers for their service work. And yes, as you may recall, Orlando was the first point of light in his thousand points of light. So that's the four. But the fifth one was President Nixon, who gave his famous I am not a crook speech at the Walt Disney World Resort in 1973. But that was during a convention at Disney's Contemporary Resort and not inside a theme park. So those are the five active presidents who visited the Walt Disney World Resort. Now my second point about Obama is that he said his daughters Sasha and Malia would be upset that he came to Walt Disney World without them. As it happens, he was only in town for about three hours and then went on to New York for a dinner and then on to the Harlem Theater for another event. Now, wouldn't it have been funny if he were here and during his short stay, he went to see the Hall of Presidents? I think that would be pretty cool. And on the note of his daughters not being there, here's a little something that I recorded during my visit in October that seems apropos. At the time, I was kind of thinking about it and I was trying to decide where I wanted to place this in a podcast. And, well, here's the right place. So we came up to the parks for the Halloween weekend uh, this year. And we were leaving the parks on Friday night. And uh, it was a, they had the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween party going on at night. So we were leaving, and it was about 7 o'clock or so, and we're leaving the parks. And we're getting off the monorail at the Magic Kingdom, and there's a bomb-sniffing dog there. Very unusual. Then we see a couple of other policemen around, kind of strategically placed different places. And I'm like, that's interesting. And as we're going along on the monorail, I can see over by the Contemporary, there's a number of uh, police lights flashing. And I go, well, that's kind of strange, because they have the blue lights on the top. And you don't usually see those, because Disney security has yellow lights. That's kind of weird. And as we're leaving the park and driving back to our hotel, we see that there's a lot of policemen lined up along all the roads. Very strange. What is going on? And uh, it turns out that Vice President Joe Biden was in town to give a speech, and he was giving it at the Contemporary. So they had done all their uh, pre-work and their security work to make sure he was safe. Now, we didn't know that, of course. It was just, you know, this was the time when you see security and you see something going on that's a little unusual, and it kind of was a little odd. felt a little strange. felt like something weird was going on. So... We go about our business and whatever, and the next day, Saturday, we go into the park, and we go to visit Mickey. Now, we're, seeing, we're standing in line to see Mickey, and this tour guide gets in line behind us with a couple of kids. Now, you always know the tour guides because they have, like, the plaid, uh, if it's a woman, it's a plaid skirt and the white shirt and the plaid vest or the blue vest, depending on the, uh, the uniform of the day. But, you know, they're dressed in a certain way, and you know they're a tour guide. And she's talking to the two kids that are with her, and we're just kind of, you know, not really listening to the conversation, but observing. There's no adults there. Now, usually the tour guides are brought in to take somebody around, and it's typically a dignitary or someone who has a little celebrity and they want to kind of take the back door entrances and stuff to keep away from the public. And so she's taking these kids around. I'm going, that's kind of strange, because usually you don't see kids alone with the tour guide. Usually it's, uh, there's an adult with them. It's kind of weird. And uh, she was talking to them, and she was being very nice, great tour guide. And she's talking to them about different things, and it was really pretty cool. And so they leave, and we happen to leave right in front of them, and we're standing outside, and she walks past. She goes, let's take your stuff and take it over there and put it with all the other stuff we've got so nothing gets lost. And they're like, okay. And I'm kind of thinking about it for a minute. And somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a connection here between them and Joe Biden. 
So I, uh, I did a little bit of quick Googling just to kind of look it up. And it turns out that he does have a couple of grandchildren that are about the right age. Um, would have been about the same age as them. as a boy and a girl. And uh, it turns out that they uh, look a little bit like the kids that were in line. So it's entirely possible that I had another one of these unusual brushes with someone, um, that this would be uh, Joe Biden's grandchildren that were in line right behind us getting uh, Mickey's autograph. And that's kind of cool in a weird sort of a way. So as you listen to it, you realize that you never know. They may show up at some other time, and you may not even realize it. Next up, there's a couple of articles that were floating around about a new type of ride reservation that's being dubbed X-Pass coming to the Walt Disney World Resort, which will allow folks to make ride reservation weeks or possibly even months before their actual vacation. X-Pass won't be available for just everyone. It'll, it'll possibly be an upgrade service and or come with the most expensive packages sold at Disney. Now, we may see it for parades as well as rides starting sometime this year. Now, there's not much detailed information about it just yet, but clearly the objective is to change at least some people's experiences at the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, maybe it's just me, but I have a feeling this is part of a bigger package that will allow for people with mobile technology to somehow use it to interact in real time, probably for a fee, but would allow them to have a different experience where they're getting onto rides and doing some of these fast pass type things uh, without having to go stand in a fast pass line. We'll see what it turns out to be, and I guess it'll be interesting as time progresses to kind of see what, what evolutionary things Disney does. I can't imagine that they want to exclude everyone from things, but I can't imagine that they want to be elitist either. So there's got to be a nice mix in here of different things that they could do for people to make it really interesting. If you want to read more about the XPass service, I'm going to put a link in my show notes that you can go out and read more about it. Next on the list today is to talk about a, a grooming change that's happening at Disney World. When Walt Disney started uh, Disneyland in 1955, he had a grooming policy. It's been expanded and modified over the years, but at its heart are several simple rules. No visible tattoos, hair must be kempt and at a certain length, and no facial hair. In 2000, Disney allowed for mustaches for the first time. And starting next month, they'll allow for beards on cast members, provided they're short and well-kempt. Now, for me personally... It always makes me do a double take whenever I see someone who's out of conformity for some reasons. I'm so used to seeing no facial hair that when I see a mustache on a cast member, it always makes me turn and look at them a second time because I'm like, wait, that shouldn't... Oh, yeah, I guess it's okay. In other news, over in Epcot, Tutu Italia, the restaurant in, uh, in the Italian pavilion, will be opening a wine bar in April. The Gusto Wine Bar will be located next to Tutu Italia and will have the look of an authentic Italian wine cellar. Stone floors and brick walls will complete the space, giving guests the feel of having been transported straight to Italy. It will feature, what else, Italian wines. Fantasyland's expansion is rolling right along, and at this point, the Dumbo ride has been removed from behind Cinderella's castle and is being set, set up over by what was the Barnstormer uh, on Mickey's Toontown Fair. It's been steadily moving toward its opening day, though we hear the date may be slightly delayed for an unspecified technical reason, but at least one of the uh, Dumbo rides will be open pretty close to on schedule later this year. There's some news coming out of Epcot that Disney and General Motors have renewed their long-term business relationship with a new multi-year corporate alliance. As part of this new alliance, GM will be actively involved with Walt Disney Imagineering, in the development of a reimagined, design-centric test track experience at Epcot. The refurbished test track will be presented by one of GM's most famous brands, Chevrolet. 
Chevrolet marks its 100th anniversary this year, and the new alliance agreement enables General Motors to tell its story in new and exciting ways to millions of guests around the world and continue as the official uh, vehicle sponsor for the Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, Plans call for closing the current GM test track in April of this year with an anticipating opening of the new test track presented by Chevrolet scheduled for sometime in the fall. As part of the reimagining, the future world attraction will feature a sleek new Chevrolet Design Center at Epcot, immersing guests in the fascinating world of automotive design. Amid upbeat music, engaging media, dramatic lights, and collection of Chevrolet concept cars as model vehicles, guests themselves will become the automotive designers and peer into the future of personal transportation in the process. At interactive design and styling workstations, guests will be able to create their own custom concept vehicles. The adventure will then shift into high gear as guests buckle into their six-person sim car ride and put their vehicle design through its paces of exhilarating hills, switchbacks, and straightaways at the test track circuit. Their performance testing complete, guests will move into a post-show area filled with special effects and be scored on how well their custom concept vehicle did. And of course, guests will be able to see the very latest Chevrolet vehicles in an all-new state-of-the-art showroom. I think this is kind of an intriguing idea. I I hope that it moves it along a little bit more uh, fully. The thing I didn't like about Test Track is it felt kind of like a commercial to me. I'm hoping this kind of pushes it just a little bit further and uses some of this new generation technology to make it a little bit more interactive and fun. Some of the things that Disney can do with some of these ride vehicles is pretty cool, so I'm really hoping that they can put it in here. Back in the Magic Kingdom, playtesting has started on the interactive attraction, Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, which allows guests to immerse themselves in an experience in and around the park. I definitely want to check this out on a future visit. This sounds really cool to just kind of be this interactive thing and have a little fun and trying to, try to run a story instead of just walking around the park. So I really look forward to trying this out in the future. Now finally today, I'd like to end with a couple of housekeeping notes. First, I'm proud to announce the relaunch of DisneyPodcast.net. You're still going to find my show notes there, but I wanted to ensure that it's got at least a sense of community to it. After all, it's called DisneyPodcast.net. I have a section that shows the latest from some of the other great podcasts around the internet, the latest Twitter buzz, and a section that's a tag cloud of the latest topics from around the web. So I hope that you'll find it interesting and engaging and go there and just kind of check out what's the latest uh, Disney buzz that's happening and maybe check out some of the other great podcasts that are out there in addition to mine. Plus, I have some links to what I think is the best content on the web, including sites related to, to topics and guests that I've had on this podcast. And there's a few social areas like my hidden Mickey site, information about last year's scavenger hunt, and a new feature that I call the Emporium Connection, which is intended to bring people who either worked at or loved the Emporium together. Now, here's the story. The Emporium, the store in the Magic Kingdom, is one of the, if not the, largest single retail outlets in the world. The foot traffic through the store and the amount of merchandise sold is absolutely astounding. And there are literally hundreds of cast members working at this location at any time in order to cover all of the shifts that are available. Interestingly, there doesn't appear to be a way for former cast members to interact, say hello, or tell a story about the experience, so I made one. Please feel free to to introduce yourself, talk about your experience, and if you happen to be a frequent guest who just loves the store, you're welcome to stop in as well. Also, I wanted to point out that I have about 950 followers on Twitter right now, and I'm nearing that mythical 1,000 followers mark, which I'm really excited about. 
So if you haven't already, you can follow me on Twitter as DisneyView. Uh, you'll see uh, links to some other interesting content from around the web. Plus, uh, when I produce a new podcast or have a uh, piece of information that I want to share on my blog, you'll see that posted there as well. I'll be sure and uh, tweet uh, the uh, name of my thousandth follower and uh, also uh, mention you on a future podcast. So, you know, so a little kudos to you if you become the thousandth follower. And for those of you wondering, I do have a Facebook page. It's also called Disney View, uh, and I'm working to build it. I'm kind of building that up and trying to work on it. Um, feel free to come by and visit it if you have a Facebook account. And uh, you're welcome to uh, friend me. I'd be happy to have you as a friend, and I'll send you information that way as well. Well, that's it for my podcast this week. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. From all of us, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast today. If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the show stops completely and the doors open. Ladies and gentlemen, please collect your personal belongings, watch your head and step, and take small children by the hand. As this concludes our journey, we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you drive home safely. Our thanks go to Doug at geekacres.net for his contributions to the show. And also to Craig for the original music you hear on the show. You can find Craig's music over at ReverbNation.com slash sound A. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the show, please feel free to contact Dave at DavesDisneyView at gmail.com. Show notes and links to other great content on the web can be found at DisneyPodcast.net. Now, I will raise the safety bar, and a podcaster will follow you home. Ha 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 ha